Okay, we are continuing with our series here, The Life of Abraham, The Life of Avram, and what it means to be a man. This is the follow-up, i give the introduction again. This is the follow-up on the first series that we did, which was the seven traits of being a man. There were seven character traits that were the epitome, the embodiment of what it meant to be a man. And we gave the definition of a man. The definition of a man was someone who takes responsibility and does everything in his power to see to it that it gets done. That's the definition of a man. And you see that that definition applies in every area where, quote-unquote, we use the colloquial expression, be a man. Wherever we use that colloquial expression, it means take responsibility and get it done. Do it. Don't be a wimp is the opposite. Don't be a baby. Don't be a child. Tonight we're actually going to speak a little bit about that, the difference between a child and a man. And what we did after those seven traits, we now began, and I figured the best thing to do is to take a look at the embodiment, the epitome of someone who lived that. Because as we spoke each time, the Jewish understanding of what it means to be a man That's the definition of what it means to be a man, but the Jewish understanding from the Torah, the Torah's understanding of what it means to be a man is specifically not just take responsibility, but take responsibility for the world. That's really the essence of being a man. Really the essence of being a man is taking responsibility for the world, seeing to it that the world is taken care of, seeing to it that the world is fixed, seeing to it that the world is brought to its ultimate fruition. That's the understanding of a man and taking responsibility for that in all aspects. And that is clearly what Abraham did. Because there's no human being that changed the course of humanity as great as he did. There's only one other human that that in his lifetime changed the world dramatically in a way that no other human bit did, but that and that's Moses. Those two people changed humanity in a way that is more profound than any other human being that has ever lived. I got, a, uh, I got an email on Facebook from someone, I don't even know who it is. I don't even know, how did he find out? I thought, I thought Facebook you only see if you're a friend with someone. I thought like people don't see my profile unless they're my they friend. See, they won't, well, it depends on what you want to show. Oh, I don't, I, okay, so I didn't play with the settings. Because I got an email from some guy, I don't know who he is, and he said, the life of Jesus is better. <laughs> like, and he gave me a quote, and I, was just, I, I didn't even bother responding. <laughs> like, oh my goodness, like, come on. No human being has changed the world in the way that Abraham did and in the way that Moses did. Certainly not Jesus. Because when I say change the world, I mean take responsibility for the world for an improvement, not to its detriment. There are plenty of people, there are plenty of people that have changed the world to the detriment as great as Moses did for the positive, but not, certainly not him. We've been dealing with the life of Abraham. We started out just to get everyone back in because the life of Abraham, you know, again, as I mentioned, we do not have the time, the privilege, and the, the, the luxury in this format to really go through in detail the life of Abraham. It is something that I think every one of you should do. You should at some point just pick up the Torah and read it. It is probably the best piece of advice I can give you. It will change your life. It's the bestseller that's ever been written. You should read it. It's better than the movie. You should just pick it up and read it. 
certainly, at the very least, at the very least, read the first of the five books. Genesis, the stories in there are so packed and profound, particularly the life of Abraham. Now, we don't have time, again, the luxury of going through, but his life has been unbelievable. It started out, he was told to leave his homeland. We spoke about that. That was the first lesson. He was told to leave his homeland, go to the land that he will be shown. He goes to the land that he will be shown, and he gets there, and there's a famine in the land. Now, one of the traits, who remembers what one of the traits of the human being, of, of being a man was? It was number six of the seven traits. Who remembers what number six oh, is? Joy. Huh? Joy. No. Unity, Unity was the last one. Optimism. Optimism is number three. Perseverance. Patience to persevere. The patience to persevere, which means, and we spoke about it what, two weeks ago, last two weeks ago, the idea is never, never, never quit. Never quit. How many of us, if we were told, I want you to go to the land that I will show you, and it will be a beautiful land, it will be an abundant land, and there you will become a great nation. And you're told this, and you leave everything behind. And you go to that land, and there's famine. You're forced to leave. The second you get there, you have to leave. And you have to go to Egypt. I thought, no, that would break... <laughs> that would break a man twice as great as me. <laughs> it's unbelievable. He goes to Egypt. His wife is kidnapped by the Pharaoh, taken as captive to be his wife. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And what does Abraham do? Just keeps on pushing forward. He leaves Egypt. He leaves Egypt. And he goes off and he starts again. And he starts over. And his nephew is kidnapped in a world war. His nephew is kidnapped in a world war and he goes to fight this war just to save his nephew. And he comes back. And his nephew and him, they get into a fight. This is beforehand. This is how come his nephew got split. Then they, they split. And his nephew is sent off and his nephew ends up being kidnapped. And he's got to go now fight a world war. His just life is filled with anguish. And then last week, what did we speak about last week? After that, didn't we last week? Then after that, then we spoke of last week, he's told that at an, an old man, he's, he's getting to be an old man, he's told to circumcise himself. And it's unbelievable, the trials and tribulations that he goes through, and we're about to, this week, we're going to see another one, that if anything is just going to be unbelievable, this is not the ultimate test that's going to be, it's going to come, but the ultimate test is yet to be. We're, we're on page 95. And Hashem remembered Sarah as he had said. Everyone got the page? But you see, time and time again, Abraham is challenged. And yet, what does he do? He just keeps going. He keeps going. keeps going. You're going to see ten tests. We're not going to get to see all ten, but ten times Abraham is going to be challenged. Hashem remembered Sarah as he had said. And Hashem did for Sarah as he had spoken. Because Abraham and Sarah were, were barren. They didn't have any children. And Sarah conceived and bore a son unto Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time which God had spoken. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had borne him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac at the age of eight days, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. He waited a hundred years to have a child. It's unbelievable. He waited a hundred years. Remember, his whole goal, 
Abraham's whole goal, we spoke about this in the very first one, his whole goal was to build a nation that represented meaning and morality. Now, if you want to build an empire, who do you want that empire to go to? Children. Your children. Your children. Abraham, his whole goal is to build a nation, not an empire, a nation to change the world. No child. No child. No child. He waits a hundred years to have a child. He never gave up. Never gave up. Brother, just to put things in perspective, when Lech Lecha, how old was he? During Lech Lecha? Whenever he left, yeah. How old was he? At Lech Lecha already? He was already. Uh, he was already. No, no, no. He was already older than that. Abraham was 75 at Lech Lecha. So this is already now 25 years later. It's 25 years that he goes and, he, and he's dealing with this journey. 25 years he waits to have a child. I mean, he waited 100 years, but he waited 25 years since the beginning of this. And Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Whoever hears me, whoever hears will laugh for me. They're all going to laugh. And a 100-year-old woman has a child. <laughs> Who is the one who said Sarah would nurse children? For I have born a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. Oh, there's so much wisdom in here. I wish we had time to go into it more in depth. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar. Now, we didn't speak about this. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham. See, Sarah and Abraham, I told you, they couldn't have children. And Sarah thought that, you know what? I can't have a child. But my husband Abraham, his whole goal, our whole goal, together, is to build a nation. So you know what? Who says the child has to come through me? Maybe I'll give Abraham my handmaid. Let him take her as a second wife. And maybe they'll have a child. And they'll build through them. And perhaps through that act of kindness to her, maybe that will enable me also to have a child. There's profound wisdom in that. that The Judaism says that if you are in the need of something, if you desire something, if you're praying for something, you know what you should do first? Pray for someone else. Take care of someone else. Go out of your way to see to it that someone else's needs that are in that same arena are taken care of, and then your needs will be taken care of. Judaism says that? Yeah. Heard an unbelievable story uh, just this past Shabbos in this idea. This family, this, uh, the details of the story, this family... They, uh, they, there. Someone in the family needed an operation. Needed to be in the hospital over Passover. They needed to be in the hospital over Pesach. So they called up this organization that's known to set up people that are in the hospital for Passover. They'll take care of all the all the necessities. There's a lot to prepare for Passover. So they said, you know, you call up this organization, they take care of everything. And so this family called them up, and they were supposed to take care of everything. And they went, and that night they get there, and they get to the room that they thought that they were supposed to be in, and they get there, and there's none of the preparations. None of the things that they need. And not only that, but the room is filled with sick people. The room's filled with sick people. Not only do they not have all their needs, but they don't even have a space for their Seder. There's no seats, there's no table, there's, there's, the room's filled with people. 
sick people. And at first, and this family, you should just know, a mind-boggling thing, this family, they had the discipline that no matter what happened, they always said, thank you, God. No matter what happened, as soon as it would happen, they had the discipline to say, thank you, God, that this happened. So they right away said, all right, thank you, God, that we have no preparations. <laughs> Imagine saying that without any cynicism. <laughs> thank you, God, that the room is filled with sick people. Thank you, God, that you put us here and not in the nice room. And they had that, they, and they said it. And then someone in the family said, look, we're here. You know, might as well make the best of it. These are sick people. Might as well. Let's see what they need. It's Pesach for them, too. They happen to be in a Jewish day hospital. It's Passover for them, too. So they went around and they started helping the sick people, seeing what they needed. Maybe someone needed to go to the bathroom. Maybe someone needed to have something done for them. Maybe someone needed to get a nurse. And they went around and they spent the next two hours taking care of the people in the room. And they said by the time they were done, someone from the organization came. They had realized the mistake. And they came and they said, we're so sorry. We had it all set up. There was a miscommunication. You're not supposed to be in this room. You're supposed to be in a different room. And they said that that was the best Passover they ever had. Because by the end of the two hours, they had spent their two hours totally focused on taking care of other people's needs. That when their needs got taken care of, it was that much more powerful to them. So Sarah's wife did that. I mean, Abraham's wife Sarah did that. She said to Abraham, I want you to take this handmaid and take her as a wife to have a child. And she did. And out popped Yishmael. Now Yishmael, you should just know, is the father of the Arab world. That's who Yishmael is. And didn't start off good. It <laughs> didn't start off good. Yishmael is older than Isaac? Yeah. Ishmael is older than Isaac. And Hagar, you should just know, she came from Pharaoh's house. She's the daughter of Pharaoh. So she comes from a house of idolatry. She comes from a house of corruption. We didn't go through that story, but that story gives clear indication that this woman comes from a house of corruption. And she said to herself, she said to her father, look, better I should be a handmaid, a servant in the house of Abraham than the daughter of Pharaoh in the palace. She had at least the understanding. You know, they say, what is it, the line, there's a famous line, better to be the tail of a lion than the head of a fox. It's, it's, it's a, it, she understood better to be a handmaid a certain, in the house of Abraham who's a, who's a person of character, integrity, morality than to be the daughter of Pharaoh in the house. Pharaoh's daughter? Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter was the maid yes. in Abraham's house. Yes, but nonetheless you can see that that upbringing, that upbringing is still ingrained. Remember that first class we spoke about? What's the hardest thing to get rid of? Remember the first class? how you were brought up. That was that first class. Remember the first class, how you were brought up is so ingrained. Sure enough, Hagar, that's entrenched in her. And she raises her son that way as well. And Yishmael starts to mock Yitzchak. Starts to mock. And so she said to Abraham, drive out this slave woman with her son. For the son of that slave woman shall not inherit with my son with Isaac. He is not going to inherit from you. He is not going to be the lineage of Abraham. He is not going to be the father of the Jewish people. Yitzchak, Isaac, is to be the father of the Jewish people. And you need to drive her out because you need to make a statement now. 
Because otherwise, in the future, people are going to say what they attempt to say right now. What do they attempt to say? What do the Arabs attempt to say? Now, we're the chosen people of Abraham. We're the chosen descendants of Abraham. Thankfully, the world doesn't really acknowledge that. The world knows the Jews are the people of Abraham, the children of Abraham. Oh, yeah, the Muslims, they claim it too. But it's not, it's not as accepted in the world because of this. Sarah says, you have to drive them out. You have to make a statement now. Otherwise, for generations, the world will stand up and listen to them when they claim that they're the children of Abraham, and we're not. And sure enough, that's what they try to do. Now, we don't have time to really go in to discuss what is it that she saw that was so bad. But just to give you an idea, one of the things they saw, one of the things she saw was she, he was playing with Yitzchak. Like, literally playing with him in a mocking way, almost tormenting him, almost trying to kill him. Now, Medrash says that one of the things that he would do is he would say, Oh, Yitzchak, hold this apple for me. Watch how I can shoot a bow right into it. <laughs> I.e., Oops! Sorry! He was accidentally trying to kill him. Sarah saw that. This has to go. This has to go. The matter greatly distressed Abraham regarding his son. Can you imagine being told this? Man, you're Abraham. The matter greatly distressed Abraham regarding his son. He didn't want to do it. He didn't want to do it. God said to Abraham, Be not distressed over the youth or your slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells you, heed her voice. Since through Isaac will offspring be considered yours. Through Isaac will be your offspring, not through Yishmael. However, but the son of the slave woman as well will I make into a nation, for he is your offspring. He's not your lineage, but he is your offspring, and I will take care of him. He will be a great nation, and hence they are. And Abraham awoke early in the morning. He took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He placed them on her shoulder along with the boy and sent her off. She departed and strayed in the desert of Beersheba. That's all we're going to read tonight. The story goes on. By the way, this is the story that we read on Rosh Hashanah. You're going to read this on Rosh Hashanah. We don't, maybe at the, at the end of the class, if we have some time, we'll go into why do we read this on Rosh Hashanah. But this is the story we read on Rosh Hashanah. So you're going to, in a few days, when you read this, hopefully you'll remember some of the things that we discussed. One of the things that we discussed, the essence of being a man, the very first, the very first character trait of being a man was what? Five-finger clarity. Five-finger clarity. Five clarity means clarity and conviction. Clarity and conviction means having the understanding of what is right. Knowing that what you're doing is right. Because the world that we live in is filled with doubt. There is so much doubt. There is doubt that's external, and there's doubt that's internal. We will constantly be plagued with doubt. The future is so uncertain, especially in the times that we live in now. The future is so uncertain. People are more nervous today than perhaps they ever were in the last 50 years, maybe even longer. Because the future is so uncertain. We're surrounded by doubt. 
Not only that, we can never know what the future is going to bring, even if it wasn't the times that we were living in. And so we're constantly worried. How do I know this is the right decision? How do I know that this choice that I'm making is going to be the best choice down the road? How do I know that what I'm doing is really the right thing to do? We will constantly question ourselves. And other people will constantly question us, telling us, what are you doing? That's foolish. What are you bothering with that for? We are constantly going to be surrounded by doubt, which is why the very first trait that we must battle with is clarity. Clarity to know. Because you can never know the future. And you will never fully know the decisions that you're making now if they're the right decisions. But you know what you can have clarity in? Okay, granted, I might not know that this is the right way to do this, but I can have the clarity to know that what I'm involved in is the right thing. That I can have clarity on, and that I need to have clarity on. I understand that. What I'm doing is the right thing. I know I married the right person. Am I going about the marriage the best way? I don't know. I don't, I don't want I know I love my children. And I know that I'm going to raise them as best as I can. Can I know that every decision I make is the right decision? No. But I know that I'm involved with them and the responsibility that I'm taking for them is the right thing. So pretty much as long as you have the end game and all the other decisions That's right. leading up. That's right. Eventually... To, to the best of my ability now, make decisions. But at least get clarity on what's the right thing. That's the beginning. Because you want to know what the biggest thing that will plague you in doubt is? The difference between being a man and being a child. The difference between a man and being a child is what this is right here. And that's something called integrity. Integrity. I have a definition for integrity. People know me, know I love definitions. I have a definition for the word integrity. You know what the definition of maturity is? People say, oh, you need to be mature. You have to, come on, grow up, be mature. You know what the definition of maturity is? The definition of being mature is not that great. My definition. You tell me if you agree or not. But the definition of maturity is just an awareness that there are consequences to my decisions and actions. That's it. Being responsible. Oh, that means that I make decisions based on that awareness. <laughs> See, I could be mature and still be irresponsible. <laughs> and I can be totally immature and be grown up and just act with a total lack of awareness that what I'm doing has any consequences whatsoever. We see that all the time, certainly in the media, certainly all the buzz that's on Facebook the last few days that I got sucked into that ridiculousness. But you see that people do things with a total lack of awareness of any consequences. That's total immaturity. Irresponsibility? That's being aware of the consequences and not acting accordingly. You know what integrity is? Integrity is being aware of consequences, being aware of what the right thing to do is, and doing it no matter how emotionally painful. See, it's easy to have values. It's very easy to have values when they're never challenged. That's easy. It's easy to take responsibility when there's no drive emotionally to not take responsibility. That's easy. Hmm?
easy to keep kosher in the old city. That's right. Easy to keep kosher in the old city. Easy to keep Shabbos when you're on a program. It's easy to marry Jewish if you live where there's only Jews. <laughs> but then you go out into the world. And now there's a challenge. And I say specifically emotionally because that's the lesson right here. Abraham is told, could you be, imagine this, imagine Abraham. Abraham, the man who says, I stand for doing what's right. That's my, that is what I stand for. That's my child. Can there be anything more right than taking care of my child? Other than taking care of my wife? <laughs> Can there, taking care of my child. And being told by his wife, he's got to go. You got to get rid of him. And it says the matter greatly distressed Abraham. This was emotionally challenging. His emotions are telling him no. But God comes in. Now, you can't have any more clarity than that. I will grant you, we don't have that luxury. We don't have that luxury, and we'll speak about that hopefully if there's time, how to get that close as possible. But Abraham is told by God. That Sarah's right, he's got to go. Sarah's right, he's got to go. Now what does that do? Does that get rid of the emotion? The emotion's still there. Now he's got the real struggle. And that's the struggle that we live in every day. Intellectually now, Abraham knows. What's the right thing to do? He's got to go. What's my emotions telling me? Keep him. Can you have clarity on something that your emotions aren't telling you? Well, yes, because hopefully you got the clarity before, <laughs> and then hopefully, hopefully your emotions solidify it. Right, but if they but if it comes the other way around, it's very difficult, very very difficult, and we are constantly bombarded with that. Constantly bombarded with that, our lives are a constant challenge of proactive versus reactive. Our lives are a constant challenge between what I want to do versus. What do I feel like doing? Every single one of us wants to be great. Not a single one of us feels like putting in the effort. <laughs> we want to be great tomorrow morning. Wouldn't it be great to wake up tomorrow morning with the level of responsibility and the, the, and the conviction and the clarity and the resources available to take hold of that responsibility of the President of the United States? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be awesome to live with that awareness that I have that ability tomorrow morning? <laughs> no, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait twenty years. I don't want to. Don't, don't tell me about putting in the hard work and you know paying my dues and I got to try this for a while and I got to. No, I want to. I want to be great tomorrow. And can I sleep tonight? By the way, <laughs> can I can I wake up tomorrow and do it? We are constantly challenged by that in your own lives, in my life. We are constantly challenged between what we know is right but what we feel like it. I'll give you the greatest example that I like to live with, but it only applies to one person in the room, and that's in marriage. I, I love this one. I call this one, I call this one the husband's apology. The, my little anecdote. I, I, if Seinfeld was still on, I'd write him a, I'd write him a letter that you should do this. All right? Guy messes up with his wife. If, you, if you're not married and you've been in a relationship, you might get it. And if not, just remember this story and put it away. <laughs> Save it. You'll need it. 
Guy messes up. I mean, he messes up. It's clear he messed up. Okay? And so he's... And first thing he does, what does he do? He tries to ignore it. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't go away. <laughs> he tries to be nice to her. He's like, all right. Nah. All right, you know what? It's just the, the, the tension is building. At work the next day, he just says to himself, all right, that's it. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to apologize. You know, I could ignore it, and eventually, maybe it would go away. All right, it never goes away. She'll hold on to it, and she'll bring it up 10 years from now. All right, but you know what? I'm going to apologize. And he says that to himself. He's sitting in his office desk. I'm going to apologize. All right, fine. Okay. All right, and he's starting, now, he's starting, now he has to build himself. All right, look, when you get home, just go right in and say it. Don't check the email. Don't check the mail. Don't, don't. Just right away, before you get distracted, Walk in and say, honey, I'm sorry. Oh, gosh, she's going to start crying. Oh, God, why, why do they have to cry? When they, I just want to say I'm sorry. Why can't you just say, okay, no, she's going to start crying. Because i got to do it right. You can't just walk in and say, honey, I'm sorry, and then open the mail. You say, honey, I'm sorry. I know I hurt you. I love you. I wanted this to work out. You know, you got to do the, the bush. And then, but that's when they start crying. Why do they have to cry? Oh, God, all right, no, just do it. It'll, it'll hurt. It'll be painful, and you'll just want her to stop crying. But just do it. Just do it. Okay, good. All right, fine. I'm going to do it. All right, he goes back to work. Day's coming to an end. He gets the day end. He gets in his car. He's like, okay, all right. Turns the car on. He's like, all right, just remember, as soon as you get home, just, just do it right away. Don't get distracted. All right, I can do this. Turns the car on. I'm a man. I'm a man. I can do this. Turns the car on. He starts driving home. <laughs> He's driving home. He's like, okay, all right, she's going to cry. Just. Don't, when she cries, just bite your lip. Just let her cry. Just let her cry it out. You can do this. All right, he pulls in the driveway. <sighs> takes the deep breath. He opens the door. He gets out of the car. He's like, all right, you can do this. And he walks up to the front door. He puts the key in the door and says, nah. <laughs> just opens the door and says, hi, honey. How's your day? <laughs> and acts like nothing happened. Because <laughs> it's too painful. <laughs> it's too painful. We know we want to do it. We just don't feel like doing it. So what's the secret then? Just biting it and... Be a man! Working through it? Be a man. Clarity. What's the right thing to do? What's the right thing to do? Clarity. And don't be a wimp. Don't be a baby. What do babies do? Babies give in to the emotion. That's the struggle. The struggle of life is can be narrowed down, can be filed down to exactly that. You want to know what the struggle of life is? The struggle of life is very simple. What do you know you want to do? And what are your emotions telling you you feel like doing? It's that simple. Every decision you've ever struggled with has constantly been, I know I want to do this, but my emotions are telling me that I want to do this. It's that simple. And Abraham has the integrity. That's what integrity is. Knowing what's right and doing it no matter how emotionally painful. And what does he do? He wakes up first thing in the morning. That's why I give the example. Just right away when you walk in the house. Just do it. Right away when you walk in the house. In your own life. Think about examples that you struggle with. That it's constantly the emotions. 
Come on. Here, I'll give you one that you all live with. If, you, if this isn't your struggle, then make up one that's your struggle. Okay. Everyone in this room knows that when you sleep late, you never feel better about it. You, know, you always feel better when you get up bright and early and with a charge. Okay, so now we know that. That's clarity. I know that I feel better when I jump out of bed and attack the day. I know I feel better. And I know that when I sleep late and I miss an appointment or I miss the phone call or I miss something and I wake up late and then I got to rush to something, I never feel good about myself. So I know that. That's clarity. Okay, but what happens the next morning when the alarm goes off? The emotions tell you, go back to sleep. You're tired. You'll feel better. <laughs> what happened to my clarity? I know that I won't feel better. No, you'll feel better. Ten more minutes, you'll feel better. So it's conviction versus emotions. It's what do I know that I want to do versus what do I feel like doing right now. It's the battle. That's what it means to be a man. See, what's our image of a man? See, because you have to understand, every image that is painted out there of the man is a distorted understanding of what it means to be a man. It's just distorted. It's from the truth, but it's just a little bit distorted. It's been, it's been turned into the media. It's been turned into, not the media, not the right word, but it's, yeah, media. It's been turned into glamorization as opposed to realization of what it means to be a man. What's the epitome throughout history? The image of a man is what? Throughout history, what was the picture of what it meant to be a man? Who, who was it that was glorified throughout history on the male side? Leadership. The warrior. The, the warrior. The guy going out to war with the sword. Come on, you guys. What was that movie? The 300 nonsense. Right, the warrior, you're not, uh, right, with the sword and the shield and the muscles. It wasn't the muscles, it was the war, fighting the fight. That's just a bastardization of what it means to be a man. What it means to be a man is fight the fight. That's what it means to be a man. Fight the fight. The world we are in is a battle. But what's the battle? It's our own battle between what we feel like doing and what we want to do what we know we can accomplish with greatness and with taking responsibility to change the world or giving in to just our lazy, just leave me alone and let me have my comfort and just give me my coffee bean. That's the war. And the man is take the sword and charge. And that's what Abraham does. Well, you think he woke up the next morning <laughs> like, all right, God says you got to go. Get out of here, you bum. <laughs> what do you mean? It tormented him. Make it real. He was in pain. He's watching his child go. But he knew it was right. And he didn't give in. And he woke up the next morning and he said, you got to go. That's what it means to be a man. To fight the fight. Fight the fight against the emotions. The emotions is a child. Anyone who has children knows that that's the epitome of a child. The epitome of a child is what? They live, breathe, move, to 
decide purely based on emotions. Right? Remember Willy Wonka? Remember Willy Wonka? Remember what was her name? The the rich little girl? Mm. Right? No, no, no. What I want it and I want it now. I want the golden egg and I want it now. Don't tell me good things come to those who wait. Don't tell me tomorrow. I want it and I want it now. Because it's emotional. It's pure emotions. Well, we're no different. We have constant emotions. And it's those emotions that create the doubt. It's the emotions that create the doubt. No, maybe that's not what I want. No, maybe I will feel better if I sleep that 20 minutes. Maybe I will feel better if I have that extra spoonful of ice cream. Maybe I will feel better if I sleep with 20 women. Maybe I will feel better if I do who knows what, knowing fully well that I'm not going to feel better. (laughs) But I give in because I doubt myself. So the most important ingredient to being a man is what? Clarity. You've got to get clarity to know what is right. And then once you know that, don't give in to the emotions. Fight the fight because that's integrity. Because everyone will tell you, you go up to any woman and say, what, what character traits do you love in a man? Every single one of them will say, oh, a man's got to have integrity. They don't even know what it means. They don't even know what it means, but they'll say it because they know that there's, there's a truth to that. There's a truth to it. That I want a man who fights for his values no matter how painful. That's what integrity is. And that was what Abraham did right here. Shabbat